No taxation without representation. 200 years of exploitation in the capital of this nation. No representation in the capital of this nation. 200 years of exploitation. Give the people their right to vote. Someone asked me, was it true? The voting rights of the district were long overdue. That was Sweet Honey in the Rock with Give the People the Right to Vote. Hello and welcome to Shadow Politics, an hour-long grassroots talk show that will attempt to shine a light on the issues that you care about. I'm your host, United States Senator Michael D. Brown, coming to you live from the District of Columbia, America's last colony. I hope my show will start a dialogue with America about the issues that are important to you and affect the lives of all of us. And tonight, we have a very special guest, a uh, long-term Washingtonian, I think he, you know, a supporter of D.C. statehood, a consumer advocate, a lawyer, an author, a presidential candidate. If you don't know who Ralph Nader is, it's because you've been living under a rock for the last 50 years, because this man has changed the face of America and has made us all safer and, and better for his efforts. Uh, it's exciting to have you on the show, uh, Mr. Nader. Thanks so much. Thank you much, Mr. Brown. Uh, let me ask you, uh, uh, Mr. Nader, you know, consumerism is different today, the, the, the shape of it, because of the work that you've done. Um, your book, your classic book, Unsafe at Any Speed, uh, shone a light on the auto industry. You know, I was talking to my kids the other day, and one, they're all adults now, and they drive, and one of them said to me, well, you didn't have seatbelts in your cars when you were a kid, Dad. And I said, yes, we did. We had them. We just pushed them down under the seat. Nobody ever wore them. Now my children wouldn't even think about getting in a car as adults without seatbelts on. You really have changed the world, and you've saved countless lives. What's the next big hurdle for consumers? Well, thank you very much. Uh, yeah, it just shows, you know, when people say uh, legislation uh, doesn't change people's behavior. Well, that's a perfect example. I remember there was a time when people would call us un-American for urging seatbelt installation and use. And now you see, you know, the most Trump-oriented uh, truck driver getting in a truck and without even giving it a thought, put the seat three-point seat belt on so yeah uh, it's, it's become just a given uh and the big problem today there's so many one is of course is the gouging of the pharmaceutical industry it's a pay or die industry that has got an iron lock on congress as you know uh they have about 450 full-time lobbyists on 535 members of congress and they pour money in and no matter how many times the politicians say, we're going to control drug prices, and presidents say, we're going to control drug prices, including, you know, Bush said it, Trump said it, Obama said it, Clinton said it, it doesn't happen. And uh, so th that is a menace because a good many of the most important drugs are developed with taxpayer money through the National Institutes of Health, especially anti-cancer drugs. Even the Department of Defense had a, 
drug research and development program, developed some of the antimalarial drugs and, and uh, uh, other uh, important drugs for a fraction of what the drug companies say they have to spend on R&D. Of course, we know they spend more on advertising and promotion to drug companies than on R&D. Another area that's just exploding is the control of people's money. It doesn't matter now. If you go into the credit card internet gulag, uh, they control your money, which means they can deduct any penalty without even asking you. They can deduct any so-called late payment fee, any kind of gouging. You have the rent-to-own rackets, the pay-to-loan rackets, where the interest rate can go four or five, six hundred percent as it multiplies itself after different due dates to pay off the loan. And people are in contract peonage, contract servitude. It's never been worse. Uh, people don't really know anymore that they they've lost the freedom of contract because they just grow up assuming you, you you sign on the dotted line with a fine print contract. You give up all kinds of rights on page 5, 6, 8, 10, and you click on. Uh, the companies are now trying to sell through parents credit cards for two-year-olds. Uh, Michelle Singletary, who you know, the consumer columnist of the Washington Post, wrote a whole article on that. These are electronic child molesters. These corporations are uh, circumventing parental discipline and control and basically abducting these children with the iPhone five, six, seven hours a day. And parents don't know what they're looking at, uh, what they're being lured, tempted, addicted into. And this is new. This is, you know, since the Internet iPhone connection started about 2008. And... uh, and there's no end to it in terms of how many bread and butter issues uh, this uh, touches. Um, so we've lost control of our kids. There's a new book out by Susan Lynn, and the title is Who's Raising the Kids? Big Tech, yeah. Big Business, or Who? Good question. My sister, Claire Naders, just put out a book uh, speaking directly to 9- to 12-year-olds, um, not speaking down to them, on 54 different topics to get their uh, intellect, their imagination and and curiosity liberated uh, from uh, dead-end instruction or or the Internet gulag and and the corporatization of their lives. It's called You Are Your Own Best Teacher, sparking the curiosity, imagination, and intellect of tweens. And it's also, of course, for their family. And she has a very unique approach, which is, Everything starts with a conversation in the family, in the household. You talk to uh, civil rights leaders, environmental leaders in their 50s, 60s. You say, how did you get into this? Well, you know, we, we had a good conversation. The parents took us to a rally or a march or a meeting. And that's what this book, You Are Your Own Best Teacher, is all about. You think uh, we could get uh, the Washington Post to review it? No way. New York mm-hmm. Times? No way. They review all kinds of mush and trivia and and flamboyant nonsense, but something that has never been done before, uh, talking directly to these children about serious topics that they're going to have to either contend with in future years or or they're contending with right now, and uh, uh, and, and uh, it's just not getting enough attention. But so it, the problem is 
the breakup of the family by corporate hucksters, sell them junk food, junk drink, you know all the problems affecting kids on that one, overweight, early hypertension, young uh, diabetes, and, and so forth, sell them all kinds of harmful other products, cosmetics to girls at age six, war toys to boys at age five. They're out of control. And you almost never hear about corporate power, corporate coercion, corporate control in the campaigns, uh, whether this year or prior years. It's a taboo subject. It's the 800-pound gorilla. And uh, I think our job as civic advocates is, is to make corporate reform the big issue because they control everything they touch, and they touch just about everything. They're not, not only raising our children. They are strategically planning our elections who gets nominated, uh, our military budget, our public budgets, uh, draining public uh, money for community uh, restoration. Uh, They decide uh, what kind of food they want to sell us. Uh, They decide uh, even even patenting our genetic inheritance, for heaven's sake. Uh, Never mind, uh, they're shaping the tax laws and, and, and the housing issues, the land issues, the installation of conditions for poverty, entrenched poverty, exploiting the poor, the poor pay more. (laughs) So you can see, Mr. Brown, there's a whole new uh, arena of consumer injustice uh, that a lot of consumer groups haven't caught up with yet. Well, uh, you, you, you can tell your sister she sold at least one more copy of the book because Mrs. Brown who is a librarian, uh, started a, a financial, help start launch a, a financial uh, uh, courses for kids at her elementary school uh, to, to oh. make them more aware. Yeah, and, you know, and it's something that you're right, is, is absolutely desperately uh, needed. But let me ask you, are corporations being any more responsible or are they just, manipulating more PR you know you have you have Kanye West for example that's been dropped by everybody for his anti-semitic video and uh Carrie Irvin who plays for the uh new uh the Brooklyn Nets being suspended for similar activity um are we just seeing more diversity in commercials for example where we see the black child, the white child, the, you know, uh, the Native American child, or, or, or are corporations changing, you think, at all? Well, the, the advances we had in the 60s and 70s, uh, they're still, in many respects, have to obey them. So, so they have to put seatbelts in cars, for mm-hmm. example. They have to meet certain safety standards, food labeling standards, and disclosure standards, and, and you know, they... Uh, they haven't been able to overturn that. But in, in over 50 years of activity, uh, I've never seen corporations more powerful. In fact, corporations are more powerful in the U.S. than they are in any Western country because other Western countries have social safety nets. They have universal health care, paid child care. Uh, they have better pensions, uh, have higher minimum wage, uh, better public transit. Uh, stronger labor unions. This country is like a colony. It's not just D.C. D.C. is a special type of colony yeah. within a, a larger American colony uh, in terms of getting their, their way. But now uh, 
they're very clever now. If you read the New York Times uh, and you look carefully at the ads, especially uh, the New York Times magazine, uh, in the last three years, especially after the George Floyd murder, uh, my rough guess is that after decades of never having a black model, uh, modeling shoes, clothes, other things, uh, or Hispanic or Asian, almost half of the ads are now uh, black and brown models. And the ads are for products, sky-high prices, you know, $2,000 suits, $1,000 shoes, Nobody, uh, except a very few in the minority community, can even begin to, to think. So it's, it's just symbolism. It's, uh, it's the equivalent of greenwashing in the environmental area. Mm-hmm. The other thing is you can exploit people. You can fill their bodies with deadly pollutants and their children, and they all get sick. And these CEOs stay at the top and keep making money, like uh, Tim Cook you may not believe this, Mr. Brown, or your listeners. I calculated Tim Cook, the chairman of Apple. He's making this year $833 a minute, a minute on a 40-hour week. So while they're symbolically uh, adapting to the change of certain mores and diversity, they're still exploiting all kinds of people in the, in the old way, in the workplace, uh, in the factories, the foundries, in the migrant labor area, in the agricultural uh, fields, uh, all over. Uh, poor people get paid less, obviously. Uh, poor people pay more, and consumers, uh, uh, whole books written on the poor pay more. That's where a lot of the worst food products are dumped in the low-income areas in the cities. Uh, that's where the loan sharks are operating, and a lot of these are funded, uh, the trace right back to Wall Street financiers, like the payday loan rackets and the, uh, and the, uh, the, the other uh, payday loan rackets. You're talking tens of billions of dollars here. So I think they're not changing, um, except for some small companies, uh, Patagonia, Interface Corporation, you know, the Social Venture Network is a trade association for progressive companies that had Ben & Jerry's, for example, and Esprit years ago and the body shop. But the big guys uh, are really a, a, a difference in kind, not just degree, from smaller business. And they run the show. You know, they, they escape taxes. They have tax havens overseas. Uh, they shape a lot of foreign policy. Look at the oil industry, for example. So where are we? Where are we where a CEO can lose his job by saying the wrong words? Just the wrong words, like a racist word. But he can exploit the heck out of people, health, safety, economic disadvantage, and and get a bonus. That's where we are. Do we need a different system? Because as I think back to my graduate school days, uh, I'm reminded of the fact that Karl Marx said that all this stuff was inevitable in a, a capitalist democracy. Do you think it's inevitable, or do we need to become more of a socialist country, or can we change it inside the framework of democracy that we've built? 
Well, I don't think uh, there's such a thing as a capitalist democracy, unless they're all small business. There's a difference between corporate capitalism and capitalism. My, my father was a restaurateur, delicatessen, bakery. And if he didn't make it, he'd, he'd go bankrupt. Right. There's nobody to bail him out. But right. the big corporations, when they're in trouble, they don't go bankrupt. They go to Washington for a bailout, yeah. handout, subsidy, guaranteed loans. I mean, you've got companies now, as you know, uh, they say, well, well, we'll open a chip factory in Ohio or upstate New York. How much are you going to give us to make right. a profit, state government, federal government? You know, Biden has $52 billion laid out for that kind of uh, subsidy. I mean, that's not capitalism. That's corporate socialism. Capitalism yeah. is you risk your own money as a company. The total hypocrisy is beyond belief here. Um, as far as socialism, there's different kinds of socialism. You know, Bernie Sanders calls himself a democratic socialist. What he really means is a social safety net, the way they have in Western Europe and, and in Canada. Mm -hmm. Universal health care, paid family leave, paid child care you know, retirement benefits and so forth. He doesn't, he doesn't support the nationalization of banks and industry. At least he doesn't say so. Right. So in that sense, he's just like a New Deal Franklin Delano Roosevelt, Democrat, which is a radical thing today. They call him a leftist. <laughs> so uh -huh. um, we, we have to simply uh, talk about power to the people. Uh, when was the last time you saw a candidate running for office being asked the question, oh, you want to become a senator and representative? Yeah. Governor? Yeah. Well, what's your platform on making the people more powerful so, so they can hold you accountable? And so you don't go back to Washington and, and get all that corporate money, campaign money, and turn Congress against us after we voted for you. Well, they never asked the question. It comes down to the the voters have got to do their homework. They do more homework on a, how to buy a car or how to win a bridge game, a lot of them, then how they're going to vote for the presidency or the Senate. And, you know, it's all taboo, of course. You know, when you're campaigning, you've got to flatter uh, the voters. They're, you know, they're never wrong. They're always right. When I was campaigning, I'd say, I'm not this kind of, of candidate. I'm going to tell you straight out that if you don't do your homework, if you don't think for yourself, then you're going to be flattered, flummoxed, and fooled. And well, they, me, they started talking about that. Let me I mean, they, you, they, 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 they didn't sorry. take umbrage. I did mm -hmm. this all over the country. You know, I, I was the only candidate campaigned every time in 50 states, from Hawaii to Maine. Well, you know, first of all, uh, Mr. Nader, let me say, you've proved yourself time and time again that you stand up for people. So I think you have great credibility there. Uh, but let me ask you, um, you've run four times for president, twice in the Green Party, once in the Reform Party, once as an independent. Is America ready for a, a strong third party, or is the party system itself antiquated? Do we get rid of parties and, and build coalition like they do in other countries? Well, we don't have a parliamentary system, as, as you know, and so... Right. A party can win the presidency, be blocked by the Senate filibuster or uh, uh, the opposing party controlling the House or both houses. 
and it's hard to get anything done. Where in parliamentary systems like Canada, England, Germany, France, Italy, Scandinavia, whatever, um, if a party wins the election, it wins the decision power. It, it cannot be stopped or has a coalition. In other words, the ministers in the party are the equivalent of our cabinet ministers. So there isn't this rigid separation between executive and legislative branches. And that's why they have a better safety net. Because we, we can see a, a party coming and winning, uh, winning the, the, the presidency and being blocked. That's happened a lot. Or winning the Senate and the House and being blocked by a presidential veto. The founders built the system uh, so that it's very hard to get anything done. Uh, they were more afraid of abuses by one-man rule, like King George III, that they, they put a lot of uh, bumps on the road uh, in the separation of powers and so forth. But now it's gotten much worse because the Congress has surrendered so much of its constitutional authority, the presidency, like the power to declare war. They've really given that up. The president, you know, President Biden said uh, he'll, he'll, go to, he'll send soldiers if China... Uh, He'll go to Taiwan's support. He'll go to Ukraine's support under NATO. But no one pointed out that, Mr. Biden, you can't go to war. Congress has the exclusive authority to declare war. You can't go to war. And the president even pointed out, we, we have tutorials, Mr. Brown, tutorials with staff on, in Congress, educating them about congressional authority under the Constitution. Like uh, Trump defied over 130 subpoenas and got away with it. Uh, Nixon defied four, and he had one obstruction of justice in the Watergate scandal, and he was about to be impeached and convicted. That's why he quit. So uh, Trump had innumerable obstruction of justice. It was a way of life in the White House, according to John Bolton, who was assistant, and quit. And, of course, he defied all these subpoenas. And uh, so the, you talk to senators, representatives, and say, what are you going to do about it? Well, we're going to go, we can go to court, but that will take all kinds of years. I say, you don't have to go to court. Don't you know about Congress's plenary power? You have the power to arrest the president or a cabinet member and detain them. There's a jail at the, in the bottom of, capital, of the Capitol. You don't have to go to court. And once you exercise it once, they'll get the idea after they've been arrested. So they don't even know their own power. Well, let me, let me ask you, um, in your book, you've written 14 books. Uh, the most interesting, I think, uh, I want to look at is the Nader Family Cookbook. But in, in your book, Civic Arousal, you quote Edmund Burke, all that is necessary for evil to prevail is for good men to do nothing. But, as we see bad men getting more involved in the process, what do we do about that? We have all these Trump deniers, for example. Uh, the most dire prediction is that 200 of them may get elected to the House of Representatives. What do we do about that? What can we do about that? Well, this gets back to my point on the voters. You know, the, we call them five-minute voters. They make up their mind. Well, is this candidate saying the right things, making the right dog whistles here? If he 
doesn't like immigrants, I'm for them. You know, if he wants to put blacks in their place, uh, I'm for him. Mm. Uh, if he wants to uh, go after Hollywood and uh, the breakdown of morals, uh, I'm for him. So what they do is they believe just the words. They don't even look at the record. I mean, uh, Trump uh, kept saying he's going to be a big builder because he was in construction and he's going to build all kinds of public projects all over the country. He didn't do any of that. And he never had a record. He had a record of uh, hiring 500 Polish workers for a, a construction job in New York who were undocumented and, and then cheated him on his wages. And he finally had to settle the case. And, and he was a failed gambling czar in New, in New Jersey. Uh, but, you know, that, that, that wasn't part of the equation. In other words, I don't know any society in the world where political rhetoric not backed by rhetoric, record, the record of the candidate, um, has such sway over people's minds. And then to top it off, the Democrats don't know how to talk with these people. They don't know how to talk with a lot of blue-collar workers. They've lost the blue, uh, the New Deal uh, uh, blue-collar coalition that, that Tr Truman and uh, that uh, Roosevelt and Truman uh, developed to beat the Republicans again. And again, so we have a failing Democratic Party um, in the control of their political and media consultants who have corporate clients throughout the year and are conflicted and don't know a ground game from uh, a checkers game uh, because they want to put all the ads on TV and get 15%. Uh, and so they are unable to landslide the worst Republican Party since its creation in 1854. I mean, it's a... It's a it's a corporatist, bigoted, misogynistic, lying, violent, prone, voter suppression, anti-worker, anti-consumer, anti-women, Wall Street over Main Street, military budget without bounds party. Tax, you ta tax, reduce taxes for the wealthy and the corporate. I just, they should be landslided. But, you know, the Democrats have compromised themselves on some of these issues as well. Uh, I, just reading history, can imagine with Teddy Roosevelt, Dwight Eisenhower, Senator Robert Taft, and even Ronald Reagan would have thought of today's Trump's dominated party. So I, I once talked to uh, Nancy Pelosi, and she told me that she could hardly talk with these, these Trump people. Well, if you, if you if you can't talk them, you're going to lose a lot of them, and uh, you know the the trends are not good for the Democrats uh, come Tuesday. So we we have to, you know, we uh, Mark Green and I wrote two books on Trump in 2019 and 2020. Uh, they were books to be used uh, by voters and activists, not just to be read, like inside the White House books that came out. And the Post and the Times completely ignored them, never mentioned them. But part of the book is how to talk to a Trump voter. Part of the book is how to deconstruct Trump's rhetoric. And there's no no discussion. We don't have much of a intellectual discussion, meaning using the mind instead of emotional impulses in this country. Well, I, I must tell you, I've been amazed. 
Uh, I've been a campaigner for 40 years. I've worked on seven presidential campaigns, and I've just been amazed at, at what's gone on lately. Uh, I mean, I understand that a woman's right to choose is very, very important. Um, I have a wife and two daughters who are, are very upset about the Supreme Court decision, but I just kept on reading the polls, and it wasn't the top issue. It was the economy. The economy was the top issue, and and uh, inflation, and uh, the Democrats just started talking about this. They just started talking about it a week ago. They talked about the Build Back Better plan and the other stuff. And I said to myself, yeah, this is crazy. It's crazy. They're not out talking about the issues that people care about. And, Mr. Nader, I have no idea how they lost the blue-collar worker. You know, I said I was born to be a Democrat because I'm an orphan who was poor, who got my first decent paycheck when I became a Teamster, uh, you know, and, 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 and the people that I grew up with in the Democratic Party, I'm 69 years old, uh, don't seem to be there anymore. Um, so, so, yeah. Well, you um, know, it's, it's pretty easy to uh, figure out why they lost the, the blue-collar voter. Number one, they allowed the minimum wage to be frozen, even after Obama was elected and had huge majorities in the House and Senate in 2009. He said he wanted to raise it to 950 by 2011. He never brought it up until the 2012 campaign, number one. Number two, they never enforced the workplace safety laws, all the way from carpal tunnel syndrome to the hazards of toxics in the, in the workplace. Number three, they didn't really uh, show any pride and be associated with the union movement. They, they used the union support, but it was kind of a, a backdoor thing, so they never pushed for uh, union uh, laws that facilitated uh, union organizing and repealed the notorious Taft-Hartley law of 1947, the most anti-union organizing law in the Western world. Um, and then, you know, the big one was allowing the hollowing out of communities with whole factories and industries being shipped to China and Mexico yeah. uh, and unemploying steel workers and auto workers and, uh, you know, textile workers, furniture workers, you name it. And they, year after year, we tell them, what are you talking about? This isn't free trade. This is corporate managed trade. You have tax laws encouraging exporting jobs, for heaven's sake. And Clinton was pushing NAFTA and the World Trade Organization. And so you wonder why the blue-collar workers listen to Rush Limbaugh and Sean Hannity and all these other distorters and prevaricators on their job. Day after day, day after day, unrebutted, the control of the public airways taken over by uh, the corporations and the uh, fanatic Republican talk show hosts. Uh, you know, the Democrats, liberals, asleep at the switch. That's what they are. And we're going to pay the price maybe on Tuesday in ways that were com completely avoidable, completely preventable. We put out a whole platform, Mark Green and I, starting in the spring. You can see it at winningamerica.com, excuse me, winningamerica.net, winningamerica.net. And it's designed uh, to have uh, 24 civic leaders and advocates, everyone from Heather McGee to David K. Johnston, 
to Jim Hightower, uh, how to win an election against uh, the Republicans. You know, using the language, policies, messaging, strategy, tactics, rebuttals, slogans. They don't even have slogans. They don't even know how to boast. They can say, you know, we had $300 a month child tax credit for 58 million children, cut child poverty by a third, and the Republicans blocked its extension in January 2022. Who do you want to vote for? See, winningamerica.net. WinningAmerica.net, and we'll post that on our website, by the way, in case you you don't have a pen to write it down with now. Uh, let, let me ask you, um, when the Republicans inevitably take over the House of Representatives on Tuesday, everybody that's anybody in, in America is predicting that, and there's now even dire predictions that we might lose the Senate. Um, this is going to, in my opinion have a special impact on the citizens of Washington, D.C., because Congress controls uh, the District of Columbia. They've already had two Republicans, one who's uh, put forth legislation that would change our voting laws. Another would get rid of the city council and our mayor. Uh, I fear that Washington's going to become a whipping boy for this new right-wing Republican Congress, since they absolutely control our city, ultimately, that they're going to hold us up as an example and try to interfere with just about everything we do in the District of Columbia. Um, what do you think about that? you think that's a possibility? Yeah, it's a possibility. It goes back a long way. Or somebody from South Carolina chair or committee, and right. they they run D.C. <laughs> so, yeah, absolutely. Uh, well, as you know, because you were there, we had a whole afternoon at Constitution Hall in September yeah. uh, 2016 yeah. on D.C. statehood. Yeah. And we had a lot of prominent people there. Uh, Mark Plotkin, the great advocate, we miss him there terribly, was great there. Uh, former mayors were there. You were there. Um we invited three times uh, Mayor Bowser. She couldn't be bothered. She was not yeah, there. Uh, but the, the, we posted all over, posters all over uh, D.C. Only 300 people showed up mm-hmm. in, in a convention hall of 3,300 seats. So why do I say that? Because there isn't the fervor, except for a few activists. Uh, you, you could hardly get a, a rally in Washington, D.C., over 100, 200 people on statehood. And uh, as a result, when the Democrats controlled Congress, they could have pushed a bill through in 2009, 2010. They could have made a fuss in in the last year and a half when they had narrow control of the Senate and and the House. Um, It's almost like, well, you know... Uh, it's not so bad in D.C. Um, they don't treasure uh, the full measure of the vote. Uh, and uh, so that's been our frustration. Uh, I'm sure you share that with D.C. advocates. I just couldn't believe with all the speakers, constitutional law experts and former city council people and local activists 
in Constitution Hall, and even the local D.C. press wouldn't give it publicity. Even the local public radio wouldn't give it publicity. But we did poster it everywhere. Um, and I remember it well. And the saddest thing yeah. about that, Mr. Nader, is I could name... I could name 200 of the people that showed up because of the same 200 people that show up for everything. You know, that, yeah, that's, that's our right. problem. You know, I, I mean, really, I, I speak to these crowds of, of 100 people and I know 75 of them because they come, you know, they're the they're the core group you just talked about, which is unfortunately very, very small. Um President Biden. Well, uh, said, maybe maybe the very aggressiveness of the Republicans in Congress will stir more people up, um, and and they'll see what that they're going to lose what few rights they do have. Well, that's that's our hope, you know. And as as Frederick Douglass said uh, famously, it's not the light we need. You know, we keep on going and explaining to Congress that what we want to do is constitutional. Every member of Congress understands it's constitutional. They just don't give a damn. They only care about having two more Democrats in the Senate. But as Douglas said, it's not the light we need, it's the fire. And maybe this will maybe this will light a fire. Uh, I, I hope it does. Um, well, I thought, you know, once there was a rally with Mayor Gray, you remember that down there? Yeah, at, I do. Uh, uh, yeah. 41 of us got Willard arrested. Hotel. And... Yeah. Um, we were all there, and I suggested there be signs on the Maryland and Virginia border inside D.C. saying, welcome to the D.C. colony, because there's not enough outreach around the country uh, to put pressure on Congress. Uh, we're the only capital in the, known in the world uh, that doesn't have the vote, the full vote. For the yeah. for the parliament in those countries, even authoritarian regimes that go through the the mirage of an election, uh, their state, their national capitals have uh, the people have the vote, like everybody outside the capital. And I think it's an infuriating thing, but we got to get people infuriated outside in the congressional districts uh, as well as as inside. I got to tell you a funny story, uh, Mr. Brown. At that rally down by the Willard, um, Dick Gregory was there, as as he was to thousands of rallies. Yeah, he was, and uh, I knew him from way back. So I, I walked up to the uh, to the uh, you know what is like the dais that they set up, and uh, I tapped him on the back, and I said. Uh, he was looking forward, and I tacked him on the back, and I said, Mr. Gregory, is this your first rally? <laughs> and he turned around with, with the most disbelieving <laughs> look you could ever have. <laughs> and then we gave each other a big hug. What a great man. We really miss him. What a great man. And can can I tell you, I want you to know, Mr. Nader, that your, your, uh, you, your suggestion didn't completely fall on deaf ears. My house is the first house that you pass in the District of Columbia. So in my front yard, the size of a billboard is a sign that says, Warning, you are entering the District of Columbia. Uh, residency here may result in the loss of your basic civil rights. 
loss of your rights does not relieve you of any obligations you might have to the state taxation without representation. And I want to tell you, I put that sign up 18 months ago and just this women, just this weekend when my wife was raking leaves, six people stopped to have their picture taken in front, in front of the sign. So it's, so it's, it's been a big success. I was sure the neighbors would be infuriated and, and make you take it down, but they haven't. So, so. But the perfect the- example of what one family can do. Just think of how many cars go by there, and and they get the message. People from outside D.C. and people inside D.C. Imagine if, imagine if a hundred homes did that. Yeah, exactly. Well, you know what I'm trying to suggest to the city council that it ought to be a codicil on real estate contracts. If you need to know that you're buying a house in a floodplain, or you need to know some of the other things you need to know, should you buy a house in the District of Columbia without understanding that you're going to lose your basic civil rights? I think most people that move to the District of Columbia have no idea that they're going to lose their representation in Congress and control over the local budget. So we're going to see if we can't get the city council to take a, 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 a variation of my sign and make it a real estate uh, codicil. I think the real estate companies will pitch a fit over it, but we're going to see what we can do. Uh, well, that's a very creative. That's a very creative idea. <clears throat> Anything they can get the conversation about statehood, a daily conversation. Mm-hmm. Let me ask you. President Biden says democracy's on the ballot. Uh, when we sent out an e-blast uh, announcing that you were going to be on the show, we, we, we mentioned that we were going to talk about the election and what's at stake. What do you think is at stake here if, if, the, if these, these Republican deniers take over Congress, take over the House? Yeah, I mean, we're dealing with American fascism. There's no question. Number one, they're for the corporate state. Uh, they just like the judges they support all the way to the Supreme Court. Whenever it's corporations against workers, against consumers, uh, you know they favor corporations. Uh, so the the Republicans have always been for government guaranteed capitalism. They never want to admit that. They always like to talk about the free market. <laughs> There's no free market for the nuclear power industry and all these corporations. At the trough in Washington, it's half of what our federal government does, shoveling mm-hmm. out subsidies, handouts, giveaways, guarantees, economic quota protections, you, you name it. Uh, so the second uh, example why it's fascist is they want to uh, suppress the vote, purge the vote, not count the proper vote, discriminate against people who they think are going to vote against them in the, in the, in the uh, way they're enforcing the vote intimidating volunteer precinct uh, workers. Uh, And that's what fascism does. Um, It tries to snuff out all potential opposition. The third is they're taking over the media. You have Sinclair Media, the biggest over-the-air owner of television stations now. It's like an arm of Trump. You have Fox Mm -hmm. News, like an arm of Trump. And um, they're not going to allow... uh, dissenting voices on on, on uh, the media. Uh, they're going to discourage it and harass and use corporations as their advance guard to s- snuff out 
uh, dissent. Even though the people own the public airways, they're the landlords, uh, and the companies have rigged the system at the Federal Communication Commission where they control 24 hours a day who says what and who doesn't on radio and TV, and they don't pay any rent to us. They get it free, the public airways. You think that would be an issue? Yeah. You know, people don't even know what they own in this country. If you ask people, Mr. Brown, who owns the greatest wealth in America? You know, they would say, like, the super rich, Wall Street, the big companies. Well, they do own a lot of wealth. But the greatest wealth in America is owned by the people. Trillions of dollars of savings, money market, pension funds. The public airways owned by the people. The huge public lands, onshore and offshore, the trillions of dollars of government R&D that were pushed to create all these industries, the aerospace, a good part of the pharmaceutical industry, the nanotech, the biotech, the computer industry, the, the Internet industry. It's all taxpayer money. So we own all this, but we, we've been stripped of control. The corporations control all this. You think this would be a wonderful issue? For the Democrats to push, it'd be hard for conservatives to say, "No, we don't believe that the people who own these important assets should control them." Hey, that's one of the principles of capitalism, isn't it? That if you own property, you should have some measure of control. You shouldn't uh, be forced to give up uh, almost total control over it. The, the Wall Street brokerage to control all those trillions of dollars. Uh, the brokerage firms. The, the Fidelity, Vanguard, all these firms, they control people's savings, trillions of dollars. And those those trillions own a majority of the stock on the New York Stock Exchange and NASDAQ. Uh, it's, it's never discussed. So the, these American fascists, and you can imagine what they're going to do for the military budget, uh, mm. the bloated, wasteful military budget. And an area you've worked in, Mr. Brown, public budgets. Imagine right. how they're going to strip them and uh, and uh, basically allow more of our infrastructure to crumble. Uh, so it, it's going to be bad news. Uh, you, they'll try to roll back consumer health and safety. They'll try to uh, block any further expansion of health insurance and roll that back. There isn't anything they won't roll back because... They are the 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 the, uh, the uh, advance guard in in our political system of what corporations demand, and what corporations demand is insatiable. There's no end to it, and they're seeking a profit. The big corporations. Well, we have a better political system if everything was publicly, if all elections were publicly financed, if uh, politicians didn't need to pander to these people constantly to get the money to run. Uh, you know, the last, just a special election in Georgia for the Senate last time, $800 million was spent in that one campaign by both sides. So if, if politicians didn't have to pander as much to these people to get the money, would we have a better system? Yeah, we would have. It wouldn't be a solution for all the problems of corporate influence in politics, but it would certainly take a big chunk out. Of course. Right now, for example, we have all this dark money that Senator White House has right. exposed in his new book, The Scheme. You ought to have him on from Rhode Island. And uh, all this dark money, never mind PACs and, you know, straight checks, 
all this dark money seeping in, undermining progressive candidates. Uh, they're going after Summer Lee uh, in Pittsburgh because she had the temerity to challenge uh, corporate power. Uh, you know, <laughs> 30 years ago, someone running for the president would spend no more than $100 million. There's $100 million being spent in congressional race. Just one congressional race. Never mind a Senate race. So it's, it's a completely corrupt system, completely out of control, out of disclosure. The Federal Elections Commission is split 3-3, and so it's always gridlocked because three have to be Republican, three Democrat. So that should be discussed. But you don't see Democrats discussing that. Of course, you don't see Republicans. So the people have to shape the agenda. Before election, months before election, people in every congressional district get together and summon the candidates. They summon them to town meetings. And they say, you're going to sit in the audience and listen to us. And this is our agenda. And this is what we want you to campaign on. And we want to know what you stand for. And we want it in writing. I mean, why is that so hard? Can you imagine how much time and 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 uh, and concentration people spend on bridge? If people spend yeah. as much time on uh, elections, uh, training themselves, being skilled, persisting as they as they uh, spend playing bridge, these bridge tournaments are incredible expressions of talent, skill, determination concentration. Never mind bird watchers. There are like 15 million bird watchers. How many Congress watchers are there, Mr. Brown? <laughs> not, not that many, I can tell you. And and yeah, it's, it, it's just amazing. And of course, that's really the other side of the coin, right? Is that, you know, we become addicted to the soundbite, but the soundbite wouldn't work if people really gave a damn and 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 looked into issues and and cared yeah. about things and and they well, they just they just don't i mean i remember i grew up in north new jersey now everything i think every mayor that was elected in north was sent to jail but my italian grandmother she always voted for the italian regardless of how corrupt he was you know we'd say to her he was just seen on the front page of the New York Times with the Gambino family. And you know what she would say, Mr. Nader? It was the anti-Italian press. Anti-Italian press. Whoever heard of that? Whoever heard of that? But that was her attitude. Yeah. That you, but she was Italian. You voted for the Italian. You didn't care. She didn't. She didn't even have to know who the guy's name was. Who the guy was, if she knew that his name was Italian. And unfortunately, we we do all too much of that. Well, look, we're running out of well, time. Well, you know, here. we we we've tried everything. We tried everything: writing, putting things down concisely, pamphlets. One of my small paperbacks. You're. Listeners might be interested. It's called Breaking Through Power. It's easier than we think. And it gives all kinds of examples where people said, we've had enough. We represent majority opinion for this change and this reform, and we're going to get it. And they got it throughout American history. So that book, Breaking Through Power, it's easier than we think. And at the end of the book, it has a formal summons for people to summon their member of Congress to town meetings at a local place like a school auditorium or town hall 
and present the people's agenda. The big lie in this country, and it's it's pursued by both parties because divide and rule has been a political technique for over 2,000 years, is that if people in this country are irrevocably polarized. Well, they are on some of these issues that these comp- these candidates pursue, like on abortion. But look at all the issues where left-right support. you got left-right workers supporting higher minimum wage, universal health insurance, cracking down on corporate crooks. you got people wanting juvenile justice reform, which... Uh, 15 state legislatures passed, led by the organizer Donald Ross, and he, he got Republican and, and Democratic legislators together on it. Uh, I wrote a book called Unstoppable, the Emerging Left-Right Alliance to Dismantle the Corporate State, and around page 60, I had 24 areas of improving quality of justice and life in America supported by Enough left-right people to to go over 70%, 80%. And if you do that, it's unstoppable. It doesn't matter how strong the corporations are uh, because the the members of Congress want the votes more than the cash. They They want the cash to try to get the votes and deter opponents. But when push comes to shove, they want the votes. And they see 75 80% of the people saying, we want a different kind of tax system, saying we want a different kind of education system, uh, saying uh, we want to cut out this monstrous bloated military budget and bring our taxes back home to help repair, renovate, uh, and improve our community's public facilities. Those senators and representatives are going to run for cover. They're not going to be able to stand against that. One uh, percent of the people representing majority of people on one issue after another in 435 congressional districts, nobody can stop that. That's two and a half million adults. We got the auto industry regulated with less than a thousand people working with us around the country because the majority of the people wanted safe cars, fuel efficient cars, pollution control cars. That's what, that's, we don't grow up understanding the power of the people. We grew up how the railroad barons and the banks and the farmer took over the farm areas and so on. We don't study civic history enough. You know, how did a few people get so many great blessings? How did how did they get? How many people were really fighting for the abolition of slavery? Not that many. Women's right to vote. Workers forming unions. Farmers getting banks and railroads regulated. Now, it's never more than 1%. But they represented the vast majority of their constituents. And they knew what they were talking about. That's the three-pointed way. And you got 535 members of Congress. That's all. 535. They put their shoes on. We do every day. And they want our vote. But if our vote is wholesale surrender to them, they'll turn it against us. But if it's conditioned, it's a different matter. Well, that's the perfect note to leave on. Thank you so much for being on our show, uh, Mr. Nader. God bless you for the work you've done for the American people. You've made us all safer 
and uh, given better lives to countless Americans. And we appreciate all your hard work. Uh, we hope you'll come back again sometime. And, and uh, America, you can hear this uh, on local radio uh, twice a week on WEAC Radio, or you can, we archive it if you have a friend that wants to listen and wasn't here tonight. So thank you, Ralph Nader. We always leave with a song dedicated to our guests. And here's one from John Mayer. We're all waiting for the world to change. Thanks, Ralph Nader. See you next week.